Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. everybody. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Viv and together with Steve, we lead this wonderful church and we are wrapping up this series of Nehemiah today. Sad face. Um, a bit like SP was sharing a few weeks ago, do you ever wonder how the Old Testament hangs together? What are the weird laws or the weird punishments about? Do you, why, you know, why do the Israelites get to go to the promised land, then get chucked out of the promised land, and then get to go back to the promised land again. What's that about? And I don't know if you're like me, but I really like knowing the whole picture of something and just sort of understanding the bigger perspective. And I think once I see that, it just helps me to understand the process. If I focus too much on the details um, without knowing the bigger picture, I just, I just get a bit confused about what's going on. It's a bit like seeing this picture here that Abby has painted. Um, I don't know whether you can see it right now. Any idea what it is? Any idea what it might be? What do you think you're looking at? You might think you're looking at a picture of a cloud. But let's zoom out. It's actually a picture of a beautiful sunset over the sea. And I think this is often the case when we look at the Old Testament. We can zoom in on a cloud and we don't realise the redemptive nature of the whole story. And so I love Nehemiah 9 because I think it pretty much sums up the whole of the Old Testament. This is basically the Old Testament in a nutshell. And it shows the love and the faithfulness of God. It shows our utter hopelessness of following his laws um, and our absolute need of a saviour. So we're going to watch the wonderful Frost family read Nehemiah 9 to us. Um, I think when I asked them, Andy then texted me going, I didn't realise quite how long it was. So you might want to get your popcorn and settle in and watch this epic tale. And can I really recommend that you have a Bible handy too, for, um, just for the rest of this talk. Nehemiah chapter 9, read by my brilliant fan. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping the Lord their God. Standing on their stairs of the Levites were Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Canani. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiai, Shebaniah, and Pethaniah, said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God. 
who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God, who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you. And you made a covenant with him to give his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Prezites, Jebusites and Gershazites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh against all his officials and all the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them, that they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled their purses into the depths, like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath, and gave them commands, decrees and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, This is our God, brought, who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave them your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, they lacked nothing, their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. 
their children went in and took possession of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave the Canaanites into their hands, along with their kings and the peoples of their land, to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. They ate therefore and were well nourished. They revelled in your great goodness. But they were disobedient, rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers, who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they did again what was evil in your sight. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they came arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said, The person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention, so you gave them into the hand of the neighbouring peoples. But in your great mercy, did you not put an end to them or abandon them? For you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. In view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Here and death, today's reading. Thank you so much, Andy, Joe, Eloise, Tilly. Wasn't that just 
extraordinary, just unbelievable. I love just seeing the visual images as we were going through that. So uh, verses seven to the end of the chapter, they're basically showing us a lot of the narrative of the Old Testament. And I want to uh, attempt the probably slightly ambitious task of summarizing the whole of the, New the Old Testament. Maybe it's the VB message version. Um, we're gonna start that trending as well as the SP message version. Um, so we've got a graphic. Um, and what I want you to have a look at is this whole kind of like cycle. And we're just going to go through it. And so it starts at the top. God basically chooses his people. He says, I love you and I want to bless you. He gives them commands. He says, obey me because it's the best way for you to live. They disobey and do their own thing. God has compassion, tries to win them back. They carry on disobeying. God does something to get their attention, a bit like chucking them out of, of, of Jerusalem, exiling them. They then ret repent, turn back to him. He has mercy and welcomes them back. So this is my summary of the Old Testament. What do you reckon? I think this, this whole kind of like cycle that goes on all the time. So we're just going to go into it in a little bit more detail. So to start off with, God chooses his people. It says in verses seven and eight, you are the Lord God who chose Abraham and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land. You have kept your promise because you were righteous. And so God makes a covenant with the people. He loves them and he wants to make them into a great nation and basically to tell everybody, to tell the whole world that he is the Lord. So that's where it starts. Then goes into the next little circle, and that's obey me because it's the best way for you to live. Verse 14 says, you have made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees and laws through your servant Moses. I've just uh, finished reading Leviticus in my daily plan of reading the Bible in a year. And some of the like the laws are weird. I don't know whether you've noticed this, but there's weird laws in there. There's things about skin diseases. There's things about mold in the walls. They're just, you, you kind of read it sometimes and just go, what is that about? But basically it was all for the good and the health of the people. And they were way ahead of their time. They were way ahead of science. And um, it was way before antibiotics and disinfectants and things like that. And always the laws are basically for the good of the people. It's not for God's benefit, it's for our benefit, always. And so all that, all that God commands us to do will never be for our harm. It's always for our good, even when we don't see it. So the next little bubble, they disobey and do their own thing. Uh, verse 16 and 17 say, but they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked. I love that image that Andy and Joe showed. I think it was a peacock or something, but they became stiff-necked and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed amongst them. And no matter what the good intentions were that the people had, they always ended up disobeying and thinking that they knew what was good for them. They did what they wanted, not what God wanted. And they just forgot what God had done for them. I don't know about you, I can read back through some of those things and go, it was only, surely that was just recently that God did that. But they forget again and they go back and they disobey. So the next little bubble, 
God has compassion and tries to win them back. God's heart is always to win us back time after time after time. He carries on pursuing us. And verse 17 says, But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. And he didn't desert them. He didn't abandon them. He gave them food to eat. Their clothes didn't wear out. They lacked nothing. He gave them kingdoms and nations. They reveled in God's goodness. But they carry on disobeying. And verse 26, they said, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. And so then the last three little bubbles are that God does something to get their attention. They then repent and turn back to him and he has mercy and welcomes them back. And verse, I love these two verses, verse 27 and 28 kind of summarizes this last part of the cycle. And it says, so you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. That's God doing something drastic to get their attention. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hands of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. And I just love that phrase. I love that phrase. It's just been ringing in my ears all week. In your compassion, you delivered them time after time. And I know that's so true for my own life. In, in his compassion, he delivers me time after time. So let's zoom out again. Let's go to that bigger picture. Do you see the cycle? Do you see the whole sort of pattern of the Old Testament? God loves us. He chooses us. We keep trying. We mess up. And yet he pursues us again with love and compassion. So where are Nehemiah and the people in this cycle? Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter, chapter 9, where we find them, verses 1 to 3. And it just says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping their God. So let's just recap. The Israelites had been chosen. They'd been rescued out of Egypt. They'd been given the commandments. They'd established themselves in Jerusalem. They'd turned to their own ways. They'd been exiled away from Jerusalem. Then they'd been brought back. They'd rebuilt the temple and the walls. And then they're here in this kind of repentance phase. And I believe that all these things that the Israelites were doing at that time are completely relevant to us today. So I'm just going to break it down a little bit more. I was going to do more slides, but at this stage, everyone was like, no, we're done. <laughs> Dream team are like, no, too many slides. So um, let's just go back to that last one again. Fasting, obeying the commands, confessing their sin, reading the word, worshipping the Lord. It's a, it's a pretty good list, isn't it? 
But I want to go through uh, this list and just show us where it is relevant for us today as well. I, I think that all of these things kind of actually speak to us today. So first of all, fasting. I'm not the biggest fan of fasting. I really like food and I really don't enjoy fasting, but it is commanded. And in the New Testament, Jesus says, when you fast, we probably don't need to look at the slide anymore. Um, yeah, when Jesus says in the New Testament, when you fast, he, there's kind of no get out clause, unfortunately. And can I just say that this isn't like a quick fire way to twist God's arm or to make him respond to us. That's not what fasting is about. This is about God becoming first in our affections, in our desires. Fasting is simply a way of saying with our stomach and our whole bodies just how much we need and we want and we trust God. And we long for his kingdom to break through. And I, I, I want that now. I want his kingdom to break through in my life and in, those, of, uh, and in those, of, those around me. And so maybe we need to start fasting more. Just putting it out there. Secondly, obeying his commands. Obeying the commands. And, and again, even in the New Testament, Jesus says in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commands. Love cannot be separated from obedience. I'll say that again. Love can't be separated from obedience. If we say that we love God, but we just go on and do our own thing, that actually isn't showing us, our, our, us that we love God. And again, he gives us his commands to bring us life. They're actually for our good. And then they confess their sin. And I really think this applies today. James 5 verse 16 says, Confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. A few years ago, I discovered that I had a lump in my breast. And I'd noticed it over a couple of months. And I was a little bit concerned about it. And I kept meaning to make an appointment with the doctor. Um, but Steve and I had been watching some videos about healing. And we'd just seen some of the amazing testimonies. And just I was really impacted by some of the promises that Jesus um, had said. And so we decided to have a little practice. And we just started praying for this lump. And uh, through a pro we went through a process of like confessing and repenting for things that we'd done wrong and then forgave each other for ways that we'd hurt each other. Um, and as we continue to pray and lay hold of, of the promises in the Bible, this lump, I'm not joking, started to shrink. And over a period of about 15 minutes, it completely disappeared. It was miraculous. I, I've got no idea what the key was there, whether it was confessing, forgiving, repenting, faith, who knows. But I know that there was power. And I know as we were pushing into confessing our sins and declaring God's goodness, there was an absolute miracle. So why not try it? Like Try like a bit of confession to each other. Bring back the confessional. Um, Try, I think there's just so much freedom actually in confessing some of the things that we've been doing wrong. And then reading the word. I love that the Israelites spent a quarter of their day reading the word. As you've probably cottoned on, I love the Bible. I'm a big fan. Probably quite a good thing for church. But I'm not sure I've ever read it for a quarter of a day. Um, but if you want to grow in your relationship with God, then 
just, I highly recommend it. This is one of the primary ways that he speaks to you and he challenges you and he comforts you and he brings revelation and he confronts you with different things. And I think it's one of the primary ways he gets to you to have a bigger perspective and just have a perspective from eternity. So like, why wouldn't you want that? So um, just do it. Um, and then lastly, worshipping the Lord. This is our natural response to everything that God has done. And I love verses five and six. And it says, stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all their starry host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. And this was the response of the Israelites as they seen, they'd seen the miraculous way that God had delivered them back into Jerusalem and helped rebuild the walls and helped rebuild the temple. And I, and I think as we remember all that God has done for us, let's not forget all that God has done for us. And I think this is just our natural response. Stand up and praise the Lord your God. That's what comes out of a response of when we realize and we recognize and we remember all that God has done for us. So I'd really encourage you to read the rest of Nehemiah. Um, although, actually, to be honest, it ends in a little bit of an anticlimax as the people again go back to their old ways and they forsake God again. And Nehemiah gets a little bit feisty towards the end and he, like, um, he, <laughs> I think in his desperation, he starts pulling someone's hair out and he basically kind of ends it with a bit of a, a woe is me. God, at least I tried. Please remember me. That's how it kind of ends. And I think this all points towards the fact that we can't do it on our own. The anticlimax at the end of Nehemiah, it points us to the fact that we need a saviour, that we need someone to rescue us and to bridge the gap. And so as we wrap up this series on Nehemiah, I, I've loved doing this series. I don't know what, what you've, you guys have found it, but I want to end with a bit of a challenge and a refocus on what this means for us. It's all very well talking about rebuilding the walls and uh, around a city to defend the temple where God's presence is. But what on earth does this have to do with us here in London or wherever we are in 2021? I, I screenshot this quote the other day, but I've totally forgotten who said, who said it. So apologies to whoever did. But it says this, God's design as he abolishes the old covenants, temples and priestly systems is to make us his temple and fill our lives with his living presence. I'm just going to read that again. God's design as he abolishes the old covenants, temples and priestly systems is to make us his temple and fill our lives with his living presence. That's, th this is the goal. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? We are now the temple. We are now the temple. We don't have some temple in Jerusalem where the Ark of the Covenant is with God's presence, is, where God's presence is. When we invite Jesus to be Lord of our lives, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in us. And this whole cycle is disrupted once and for all. 
We have the spirit of the living God inside of us. I've pondered before about meeting Moses in eternity, like you do, and asking him, you know, what, it was, what was it like, Moses, seeing the presence of the Lord in front of you? And I just wonder whether he might say, yeah, but Viv, what was it like having the spirit of the living God living inside of you 24-7? Like, that's the reality, that we get to have the spirit of the living God inside of us 24-7. And that second phrase on the diagram, the, the obey because it's the best way to live, this is where the Israelites just kept tripping up. They tried and they failed again and again and again. And this is the biggest difference with the new covenant. This is where Jesus comes in. Jesus has taken the punishment that we deserved so that we don't have to come and keep sacrificing animals in the temple. Praise God. Can you imagine if we still had to do that? He died to fully bridge the gap between God and us once and for all. And Jeremiah, he prophesied about the coming Messiah, that God would put my law within them and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. That's his promise to us, that he writes his law on our hearts. And Jesus, he goes on to say, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. We have the spirit of the living God inside us. He's our guide. He's our conscience. And he's there to empower us. And this incredible gift of grace is ours. It's it's, It's not about our own works that we're saved, but it's through surrendering to him. It's about being his, pres- his temple where his presence dwells. Pete Gregg, who leads 24-7 prayer, I love this quote. He says, he says this beautifully. The story of the Bible can be seen as God coming home into us. Don't you love that? The story of the Bible can be seen as God coming home into us. And so my challenge is today, let God... Come and fill your temple with his presence. And probably a slight caveat and warning, there might be a bit of disruption as God comes and clears out the temple. Do you remember when Jesus went and overturned the temple? God is jealous for your whole heart. He wants, he wants nothing to compete with him. He will keep pursuing you because he, he wants all of you. Remember the the first commandment that Holly referenced earlier. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so there's just this posture of surrendering again to him, offering God our, our whole hearts. And I love this verse from Acts, which says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Who here needs times of refreshing? I think I do. Maybe I just need to fall on my knees again before God. Repent of not loving him with my whole heart. Just turning back to him. Ask him again to rebuild you, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild that temple within you. 
And so as we go back into a time of worship, maybe, maybe you just might want to do that. Maybe you just want to get on your face before the Lord and humble yourself, repent, turn back to him, give him your whole heart, not just the side bit. Not just, he's just not an add-on. He wants our whole hearts. And as we, we, we just fall into the arms of our compassionate father, that's what we're doing. He's always pursuing us. He's, he's always forgiving us. He's always faithful. And that, just that phrase I have going on and on, um, in his compassion, he delivers me time after time. And just fall into his arms this morning. Fall back into the heavenly father's arms. He wants to, he just, he, I just get this real sense that he is pursuing you relentlessly. He wants to clear out the temple. He wants to get rid of anything that's in the way of him having all of you. And so just use this opportunity as we worship him to thank him for his faithfulness and to just put our whole hearts on the altar in front of him this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.